Funny Books with Paul, Rob, and Ray. I'm Paul, and I'm joined by two special guests today. I'm Rob. And I'm Ray. Tell me a little bit about yourself, guys. Let's let's start with you, Rob. Uh, you know, the, the guys, Aaron, Tim, Wayne, Andrew, they're all at Fear the Con this weekend in St. Louis. Uh, and I've been watching their Twitter feeds fanatically, seeing how the games are going. Uh, in the meantime, I am uh, enjoying a geek weekend of my own. Free comic book day is today, that we're rec- uh, the day we're recording the show. And uh, all of us have seen the Avengers movie. So we're, pro- we're going to talk primarily about the Avengers movie today. Uh, just kind of tell you our thoughts, what we thought of it. Love to get your guys' feedback. So, uh, you know, leave a comment or give us a call on the Ideology of Madness hotline. But, uh, you know, Rob, tell me a little bit about yourself. You know, what's your comic cred? And, you know, tell me about, the, you know, how many times you've seen the movie or when you saw the movie. Okay. Um, I'll start with my comic cred. I read them when I was younger. Um, I had stopped reading about ten years ago um, just because I kind of got tired with uh, kind of rehashed storylines and everything. And I jumped back in uh, to comics with the DC's New 52, um, I had sort of kept up on my comic fix by listening to Funny Books with Aaron and Polly. That's how I kind of kept kept the uh, the need alive. And since then, I've been buying a lot of um, mostly DC and adding in Marvel as I go. Um, I'm a big podcast fan. I'll uh, funny books with Aaron and Polly, like the podcast, um, Zero Fortitude. I have a, I have my own blog, um, the Pumpkin Society at blogspot.com, where I, I, I do some writing, and I also now do some writing for Ideology of Madness once a week, and Zero Fortitude uh, twice a month. Wow, that's a, that's a lot of blogging. So, yeah. I have a question for you. So you said you listened to the Funny Book Show even before you got back into comics. Yep. You're not the first person I've heard that from. How does that work? <laughs> I mean, like, how do you understand what's – I mean, I get the the first half of the show we talk about general stuff, but the last half of the show when we're going into the reviews and stuff, like, do, do your eyes just glaze over? Do you, do you start doing something else at that point? I mean, how does that work? It provided like a, a touchstone where, like, if it's a, a book I've never read, I would, I would kind of listen to see if it would be something that would be interesting to me, and then I would look it up on Wikipedia, and see like the storyline that you're all talking about. So sort of get like an info dump. Whereas like if it was something I I was familiar with, like say Spider-Man uh, or the Avengers, it would be like catching up on a soap opera. You know, the you may have missed a year, but you kind of can slot back in rather easily in the storyline without the art. I mean, that's pretty much it. It's like, now I know where the story is. I've gotten it without having to go spend my three ninety nine. <laughs> See? So you can listen to our podcast without even being a comics reader. That's what I need to tell people. So, Ray, tell me a little bit about yourself. You know, your comic cred, your funny books experience. Yeah, right. Not re- I don't really read all that many comics. Primarily, it's just I simply can't afford it right now. And when I could afford it, I never had the time. So it seems to be either or. So I read select ones. The uh, I used to read a lot of uh, when I was younger. A lot of uh, Thor and Doctor Strange. Those were always my two favorite Marvel guys. And for DC, obviously, Batman. I also really like Superman. Haven't really read so much of uh, the one comic that I do uh, actually make a point to get, though. Uh, most recently 
has been the Atomic Robo series. I absolutely love that one. Uh, In regards to funny book stuff, I uh, actually relatively recently started listening to it. Believe it or not, I started listening with the uh, with the Knights of Rainsboro stuff because Wayne actually recommended it to me. Mm-hmm. So I started uh, listening to, uh, to those. Absolutely love those, and decided on a whim to, to check out one of the, the Funny Books episodes and pretty much have been listening to them ever since. Uh, that's pretty much it. I mean... No, that's cool. Uh, yeah, I mean, let's be honest. Tim, in a rage, is absolutely hilarious. <laughs> His ranting is funny as hell. <laughs> that's pretty much it. <laughs> I don't really know what uh, what else to say. Like I said, I don't read nearly as many comics. I mean, kind of like Rob, this it's a way for me to at least keep an idea out of like what's going on storyline wise, so I'm not completely lost. But again, it also if I ever if there's ever like a very specific book that I'm curious about and actually want to think about picking up. Uh, I can usually base your guys' like reviews and stuff on it to see if it's actually worth it since I really have to limit what I get. So also it probably doesn't help that nearest comic book store here is down in Encinitas, which is a good forty five minute drive from where I am. San Diego and eh, not so good for comic uh comic stores and RPG stores. Luckily, we have one good RPG store. Comic stores, the only one that I've even seen, yeah, it's pretty much the only reason it exists. So, uh, a pissed off fat beard can have a place to store his stuff because his ha- he ran out of room in his house. Guy <laughs> is a complete douche. <laughs> Aww. He really is. He's like the stereotypical comic book guy. <laughs> All right, so I don't. You, you just said that San Diego is bad for comics shops. That doesn't make any sense to me because that's where Comic Con is. Yeah, I, I I should reiterate where I'm at. I'm actually a little bit north of San Diego. Okay. I'm in Oceanside. It's not. Um, I think there's one in Escondido that's supposed to be pretty good. That's pretty far for me because. I actually rely on public transportation right now, mm-hmm. so a little difficult. Can't really just get over there to pick up comics and go back. So that makes me sad because I live yeah. in I live in Kentucky. I'm like in the middle of sort of like hillbillies, and I'm a hillbilly, but I have three shops within like five minutes. Really? Yeah. Um, maybe it's because I'm near the. Uh, near Camp Pendleton, so I guess for some reason they don't think soldiers are going to buy comic books, even though that's blatantly not true. I was going to say, but I bet you have plenty of massage parlors and pawn shops. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> so, downtown Oceanside to a T. <laughs> you know, it's weird. We have probably about off the top of my head, I could think of about seven comic shops in about a half hour distance, but you know, whenever I go out of town, the, one of the first things I do is check the local comic scene, no matter where I go. And, you know, 
it's really not unusual to find a place that the closest comic shop is like 30, 45 minutes away. And, I mean, I guess it's not really a bang-up dynamite business, but it's just kind of funny to me that, you know, I, I guess that's why digital comics are doing well, right? Because you don't have to drive 45 minutes to get one. Yeah. <laughs> so oh, um, that also reminds me one other thing that I have been reading lately. I uh, managed to uh, get on sale the entire collection of The Darkness up to, I think, issue 100. <laughs> wow, <laughs> so I've been going uh, through all that digitally, so that's taking some time. <laughs> oh, yeah, was that that Comixology sale last weekend? The stuff by Phil Hester, right? I think. No, it was a little bit further back than that. I don't. Oh, it? Okay. Yeah, I don't really remember when, but yeah, that was uh, that was pretty much my treat for the year. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's a that's a great book. I love the darkness, and you know, if you're starting at the beginning, I mean, you've got, I mean, the character was created by Garth Ennis. You know, he's had writers like Paul Jenkins, Dale Keown, Phil Hester. I mean, it's just you know, kind of an all star book. You just it, it, you can't really go wrong reading that one. Yeah. So, Rob, you said you got in with the New 52 back into comics. Uh, what's your favorite New 52 title? Uh, the Red Lantern. Really? Oh, hell. I am I like a Lantern book without the Guardians. And <laughs> it's so good that there are no Guardians in it. Um, a close second is Animal Man. Okay, because I was, I was surprised that I would like it because... It's almost like a superhero horror mm-hmm. um, book, and I've never been a fan of horror books, and I'm like, I'm liking it. Oh, yeah, I love I love Animal Man. It's What frustrates me for both of Animal Man and Swamp Thing, though, is that they seem like they're a little, they seem like they're stretching out their stories just to get to that crossover right now. And it's like, just freaking crossover, and they say the crossover won't happen till issue 12. And I'm like, they've been talking about it since issue 5. Freaking do it already. Well, I know, because I, I haven't been reading something, and uh, a friend of mine, Edgar, is like, you know, they're going to cross over, and I'm like, you're evil. I, I wasn't paying attention, and now I have to go pick it up. And I pick it up, and I'm like, I'm enjoying it now. So I'm like, okay, then let's cross over. Because you got to see a little bit of it there in Animal Man, mm-hmm. and I'm like, bastards. <laughs> so... You know, I, 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 I love both books, i got to be honest. I, and I really like the way they tie in together. I just, like I said, I just I wish they wouldn't stretch it out so much. But anyway, we're here to talk about the Avengers today. We're going to rub it in because, yeah, well, technically Tim, Aaron, and the rest of the guys have probably seen it at this point uh, by the time this will be released. But, uh, you know, we saw it first. So rub that in a little bit, even though they're at Fear the Con. I'm all for that. <laughs> so Avengers was released uh, yesterday, uh, May 4th, uh, and it has already broken box office records. I mean, if I read correctly, I think it made $87 million its first day, on track to make $175 million by the end of the weekend, probably the biggest domestic opening of all time, um, not including international, because it was released internationally a couple of weeks ago. Now, what i I got to be honest, for the last couple of weeks, I have been avoiding reading anything about this movie. Um, you know, we're going to talk a little bit about the uh, the end credit sequence, which I already knew about. Uh, actually, Jim Starlin ruined that for me. 
um, <laughs> when we interviewed him. But um, other than that, I have been avoiding reading any spoilers about the movie. And uh, so I, I, I there was yes. I was going to say, in regards to that that the ending uh, credits thing, if you even saw pictures from Comic Con, I think a couple years ago, you figured he was going to uh, you figured that was going to happen. Mm-hmm. That was going to be part of it. I mean, just from what they were showing in the glass case. Oh yeah. So, I mean, it's like you can't have what was in the glass case without the other thing. Like the two go hand in hand in the Marvel universe. Makes me glad I didn't look at the the stuff <laughs> because I was like you. I didn't want to. I didn't want to see. I didn't even watch a lot of the the trailers because I'm just. I'm like, let's, let's keep as much of it as a mystery for me as possible. Yeah, and, you know, I was, like I said, we're going to get into the spoilers later on. I'm going to try to avoid spoilers at first, um, but I like, here's something that's not really much of a spoiler. I, I, I've been avoiding so much, I didn't even realize Gwyneth Paltrow was in the movie. Um, so when I saw her, I was like, holy crap, I didn't, re- like, I, I honestly didn't realize that they were going to have some of the other side characters in the movie. And it makes sense. But I was I was pleasantly surprised at some of the stuff I was able to to gain enjoyment out of by not reading any spoilers on it, which is really hard for a movie this exciting. Oh, yeah, uh, you know I mean, and I'm trying to do the same for the Dark Knight, uh, the Dark Knight Rises later on this summer. But I'm sure that it'll be hard to avoid spoilers on that one. Well, on Twitter too, I'm like, oh, let's not read that Twitter. Someone's saying something. Scroll past it. <laughs> yeah. Well, and so what I did this time, you know, usually for a movie like this, I would try to go to the midnight showing, but this time I decided no midnight showing for me. You know, uh, AMC and Rob, I think you did this, but AMC theaters did a movie marathon, and I think Regal did it too, um, where you got to see all the Marvel movies leading up to this: Iron Man one and two, Hulk. Uh, Thor, Captain America, and then it was followed at midnight by the Avengers, and I really, really considered it. But then I was like, you know, I don't want to be in the theater 12 hours before the one movie I haven't seen. I loved it. It was well worth it. I I have to say, because I... <sighs> I loved all the movies that led up to it. I, I, I have friends that didn't like one or the other. I, I'm not that guy. I, I liked every one of them. And they, they did a good job of giving you plenty of time to like, uh, stretch your legs, go get something to eat. And where I was at, there were plenty of restaurants in the, the area that you could just go get food and bring them back in. Um, so it, it proved to be a, a great, Great experience because the the theater was packed. Everybody was happy. Like when like certain things happened on like older movies, people were still cheering, which kind of gave it that sort of electricity that I liked about like an opening night like that. And mm-hmm. I haven't had that in forever. And then at midnight when um, it came on, the, the crowd was hushed and it was like in anticipation. It was it was it was damn good. I don't uh, well you know I was that was one thing I was wondering I'm like are you going to have to survive off of AMC popcorn and hot dogs and pretzels and nachos all day but it sounds like you were able to go out and get some food and bring it back in Yeah we um where 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 my AMC is it's in like a sort of like a mall and it has several restaurants and the 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 arrangement was anything in the in the mall you can bring in um you had like a lammy uh, a laminate that you wore around your neck, so you wandered around, came came and went as you please. 
Um, and so, yeah, it made it so much easier. Although I did buy the large popcorn and the large pop and drank way too much pop all day. Oh, yeah, you got to do what you got to do. <laughs> so, you know, I uh, I saw the movie in digital IMAX 3D. Uh, I went to the 9 a.m. showing on Friday morning because I just, like I said, I didn't want to do the midnight one. I wanted to make sure I had a good night's sleep and I was fresh and awake. And so I went to the 9 a.m. showing, and it was insane crowded. Um, you know, I think a lot of people called out of work, or called out of school to go see this movie yesterday. And, uh, you know, I think it's just going to be this huge hit. And the digital IMAX 3D, now keep in mind, where I live, AMC showings before noon at AMC theaters are $5 a piece. My ticket was $11 because of the upcharge for digital and the upcharge for IMAX and the upcharge for 3D. Um, and the biggest disappointment where, there was that I wasn't able to get the uh, special glasses. Oh, yeah. That was um, that was one of the awesome parts of the whole package. I got my Captain America glasses. It was nice. Uh, I hate you guys all so much. Guess how much I paid for my matinee 2D. Okay. Nine. Wow. Well, Welcome was... to California. <laughs> Give us your money. <laughs> I paid 40 bucks so, for the whole day. So I thought that was a really good deal. for, And it was everything that could be in 3D was. So well worth it. Oh, really? So it wasn't just Avengers that was in 3D? No, um, Captain America and Thor. Oh, that's cool. Also. Yeah, see, the IMAX is a different kind of 3D. So, you know, we you had the reusable IMAX 3D glasses, but I was really hoping for one of the, the Thor, the Hulk, or the, I think it's Thor, Hulk, Iron Man, and Captain America glasses. So I may go back and see it in 3D just to get one of those glasses. I, well, plus, I want to see the movie again anyway. But, Ray, you said you saw it in 2D. Um, so what was that? I mean, it's, I, obviously, it's hard to compare it to the 3D. Now, Rob, you saw it in 3D both times? No, uh, 3D the first time and 2D the second time because uh, the friend I went with hates 3D. So I'm like, fine, I won't gain to go to a 2D movie with you. <laughs> and so 2D was still 9 bucks for you, Ray? Yeah. Wow. Okay, so you are fresh out of the movie. I mean, you just saw it like an hour ago. You just finished up the movie like an hour ago. About two hours ago, but yeah. Okay, so... Why don't you start us off? What did you think of the Avengers movie? Can I swear? <laughs> yes, you can swear as much as you want. <laughs> <laughs> well, God fucking it. No, it was fucking awesome. Probably one of the best movies I have seen yet. Definitely one of the the best superhero movie. And honestly, they picked the perfect guy to direct it. Because out of all of them, I think Joss Whedon actually gets comic books. Because, correct me if I'm wrong, but he's actually wrote quite a few, not just the Buffy ones, correct? Correct. X-Men, yeah. Yeah, so he actually gets it. So, it was spot on. Though, there were some parts in there you can kind of tell, like, huh, did they cut something out? So I'm kind of waiting for the director's cut DVD just to see what they actually had to leave out. Because of time constraints, you know? That would be kind of interesting. I'm sure there was stuff. I mean, I've seen, like, little shots and stuff in the trailer that I know weren't in the movie. Oh, yeah. You know, um... Iron Man was the same way. Yeah. 
Exactly. Especially Iron Man 2. Oh, yeah. I mean, there was the whole scene with the with the helmet and everything that wasn't in either the director's cut or the theatrical cut that mm-hmm. they had in the in the trailer. Yeah. So I was like, wait, the hell was I imagining that? <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, I have no idea. So, Rob, which, well, obviously you liked it enough to see it twice. Oh, yeah. I I will have to echo Ray's sentiment that it was fucking awesome. Uh, it... <laughs> It pulls off the superhero ensemble movie where, well, X-Men falls flat, I'm for me. It, you get to see everybody shine and do what they do without any specific player overwhelming the other one, and I, that was just impressive to me, uh, really. You know, I gotta say, one thing that I enjoyed the most about Avengers, more than, and, you know, here's, uh, for me, you know, the ultimate, I love the Batman movies, I love the, the, the Tim Burton Batman movies, I love the Chris Nolan Batman movies, those are excellent movies, I've loved all those, these Marvel movies, recent Marvel batch of movies, um, I think the thing I enjoy most about the Avengers is that it, uh, it is unapologetically a superhero comic book movie. It doesn't hide it at all. You know, Iron Man, you know, it was a while before Tony Stark was in the armor, and it focused more on Robert Downey Jr. and the humor and being out of costume, and it saved the Iron Man stuff for bits and pieces before the end. Um, you know, Hulk, again, you know, Hulk was in there bits and pieces until the end. You know, Thor was focused more on the Asgard stuff for a while and not being in costume and not focusing on that. Um, you know, Captain America. Obviously, half of the movie, he's not even in costume. You know, like almost every superhero movie, and of course we can talk about Batman and The Dark Knight Rises, Batman Begins and Dark Knight Rises, they try to make a superhero movie in another genre. You know, whether it be a crime movie or a action movie or a comedy or something like that. And this one, from beginning to end, unapologetically a superhero movie, costumes all the way. You know, you got the helicarrier. It, like, it doesn't try... It's funny because it doesn't pay, it doesn't try to be a general public movie. It's right. It, it appeals to everybody. Helicarrier. That that scene was awesome. I figured it was coming because I mean they couldn't have an Avengers movie without the flying shield base. But just the way they debuted it was really really cool. <laughs> Now, I'm going to admit something here. Um, when the helicarrier uh, basically goes into stealth mode, I, I, was, I, I, I thought back to a Funny Books episode where I can't remember who it was. It's like, can those things stealth? And I was like, well, here it is. Obviously, it's in the movie. It has to have stealth. <laughs> and I told my friend that was with me, see? And he's like, you're stupid. <laughs> yeah, it was in Avengers vs. X-Men number one, I think, that we were talking about it. Yeah, and I was like, see, they, I thought it always could. I mean, I thought they always covered the fact when they had the flying shield base that it always had some sort of camouflage, didn't it? I never thought about it, i got to be honest. I, I, I guess it was just, I, for me, it's like, how do you hide something that big? But, you know, again, it's a comic book movie. Suspension of disbelief. I can believe there's a Hulk and an Iron Man and a Captain America and Chitauri and Loki and all that crap, but I have problems with the invisible Hail Carrier. Yeah. <laughs> Go figure. 
No, my uh, my favorite one from like the uh, the Avengers comic movies, the one with uh, the Alan Moore lookalike that could control gravity. I forget which one that was. Either of you guys ever see that one? I don't no. think so. Ah, uh, uh, maybe I'm remembering a different one, but I know it was definitely had something to do with the Avengers, and that was the main villain was a. Uh, an Alan Moore look-alike that could control gravity. You know, it's kind of funny. I was not an Avengers fan until Bendis took over the title. My, I think one of the first Avengers comic books I bought was Avengers Disassembled. Before that, I mean, Avengers was just not interesting to me. Um, you know, and it had characters that I didn't care about. I didn't care about Ink, Ant-Man, and, uh, you know... Um, the Wasp and Vision and characters like that. They just weren't up my alley. But when Bendis came on and turned it into the super team with Captain America and Iron Man and and Spider-Man and Wolverine, that's when it really kind of took off for me. Uh, that's when I kind of became interested in it. And just, you know, the, the Marvel movies have done a great job of capturing the feel of the comics, I think. Yeah, I was a, I was a fan during the, the Wonder Man and Beast years. Um... I like those two when they were on it and the, the, that team. And then I sort of, I kind of fell off of it. It's sort of like the, the Great Lake Avengers. I was like, really? Um, but I had a decline with all comics, like I said. So it was, it was one of the earlier ones to fall off. You know, I think you're going to be, in, you know, we're going to just kind of sum up the review portion, I guess, here. You know, you're going to be hard-pressed to find a negative review of the Avengers movie. I've looked. I've only heard of one person who didn't like the movie, um, and it was just a, a buddy of mine at work. Everyone I know loves this movie, whether they're a comic fan or not, and it really is just a fantastic movie. You know, yes, being a comic fan helps. Um, it really helps. But I think it's a movie that can be enjoyed by everyone. It is just spectacular. Did you say a friend of yours at your work didn't like the movie? Uh, apparently he walked out. Wow. I'm sorry. You need to test him. See if he's like a replicant or, or a silent or something. Because that man has no soul. There is no way he could not like it. What, did he say why he walked out? Uh, all I heard is that he just he thought it didn't capture his attention. Didn't, thought I, it didn't capture his attention. Yeah. Very smart. ADD. <laughs> no, that, no, I have ADD, and I was completely still for this movie. That, that There's no way that happened. He probably went to go see the, a chick flick or something instead. So, I don't know. <laughs> so, you know, I, I hate reviews where they break, you know, the podcast reviews of movies where they break down scene by scene and things like that. You know, so we're not going to beat it to death, but I do want to kind of go over a couple of things in the movie. Um, I kind of want to talk about what your guys' favorite scenes were. Um, so, Ray, why don't you start us off? What was your favorite scene of the movie? So, you know, are, are we doing spoilers or no? Uh, spoiler warning on. Okay, spoiler warning on. Absolute favorite scene was when, uh, had to be when Hulk was just beating the shit out of Loki. <laughs> Loki's just doing this big grand speech, yelling at him and everything, and just all of a sudden Hulk just starts 
beating him into the pavement. And the entire theater was busting up laughing with that. Pretty much a lot of my favorite scenes, honestly, were with Hulk. Like, there was the scene where uh, Hulk and Thor were beating up the, uh, were destroying that worm carrier thing. And when they uh, stop, they're kind of standing in what I think was Grand Central Station, just standing there, and just all of a sudden, Hulk just just uh, slams uh, Thor in the face because of what happened earlier on the carrier. It was funny as hell. And let's see, there was also there was also the bit where Captain America's giving orders and everything. <laughs> he turns to Hulk, he's like, Hulk? And Hulk has this look of murder on his face, like, <laughs> like he's thinking, try and tell me what to do, I'm going to smash your face in, and he just points up and goes, smash, and he just has this grin, like he's a five-year-old kid at Disneyland, it was hilarious. <laughs> uh, the only other one probably... Honestly, that was a non-Hulk one that was really, really good. Would have to be the the little banter between uh, Loki and uh, Tony Stark. But they did show that in the trailer where he's he's boasting that he has an army. So he's like, uh, yeah, we have a Hulk. <laughs> that was funny as hell. I could go on and on and on. There are so many scenes in that that were just funny as hell. But I think I'll let someone else have a turn. So, <laughs> all right, Rob, what you what what was your favorite scene or favorite scenes? Um, now I'm going to agree with him. I loved all those scenes that he was talking about. Um, but this is going to be odd. Once again, it's a Bruce Banner. Um, Tony Stark scene where they're, they're discussing the Hulk. He's like, you have, you have this gift. And he's like, I don't seem to see it this way. And he's like, anybody else exposed to this, gr- this great amount of radiation would be dead. And he's like, are you trying to tell me I, 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 this is a gift? And he's like, I think you need to see it as something else. And, uh, that just blew me away. I liked the character progression there for both Stark and Banner because it's Stark stepping up to be a mentor when he's this pretty much playboy all the other time and then pointing out to him, and he does it um, before as well. He's like, you're hiding in the background. You need to learn to strut. And, and it's like, you don't get it at that point when he's trying to tell him, embrace the Hulk, and things will be different for you. And I'm like, that was awesome. Um, and then the the point where you have them all arguing around the staff as it's making them all angry, and he's like, I know how this goes. I've gotten to the point where I've gotten so down that I put a bullet in my mouth and then the other guy spit it out. So this isn't an option. You can't stop me if I don't want you to. And I was like, wow, that was powerful. Yeah, that, that was a good scene. I gotta say, honestly, I was skeptical at first given that they were casting someone else as uh, Bruce Banner because I really liked, the, liked uh, Edward Norton playing him in the in Hulk, 
But the new guy that they got, actually, he nailed it. I think he really did nail the Bruce Banner stuff. He did a really good job on that. Yeah, uh, I'll agree. You know, Mark Ruffalo is the guy they got to play the Hulk in this movie. And, um, yes, I, I liked Ed Norton Hulk. I really did. I didn't like Eric Bana Hulk, but no one did. Um, <laughs> but, you know, Ed Norton Hulk was really good. And, you know, he wasn't returning for this movie because of money. And they got Mark Ruffalo. And I got to say, Mark Ruffalo did a fantastic job in this movie. Um, I think they made a really good decision there. I think he fit well with the rest of the cast, probably better than Ed Norton even would have. Um, you know, Mark Ruffalo stood his own against the rest of the cast, played a great Bruce Banner, and, uh, you know, you know, we we seem to keep coming back to these Hulk scenes and this Bruce Banner stuff, and I think it's because the Hulk, when he was on screen and when Mark Ruffalo was on screen, they really kind of stole the show. Um, and, I, you know, they, they were kind of – one of the things that I keep hearing is, you know, Marvel did not want to pursue a Hulk franchise. The two Hulk movies that they did didn't do so well. Um, and after this movie, you know, people are really responding to the character and Mark Ruffalo playing the character. So they, they're looking at ways to perhaps pursue – another franchise with him. Um, if you watch the movie, again, spoilers on, it seems like he now might be working for Tony Stark, so we may even see him in Iron Man 3, I'm hoping. Um, I just, I really hope they do more with, with the character and with Mark Ruffalo playing the character, because I thought he just did a banged-up job with it. Ryan. See, I, that's what I'll agree with you. This made me a Hulk fan. Because I, I, I was... I, I enjoyed it. It wasn't my favorite of the of all the Avenger three movies, but like coming out of this one, I'm like, I want to see more Hulk now. And but I will say, I want to see more Hulk, but not just by himself, because he, Mark Ruffalo, did it best acting against the other people, and basically he upped it a notch, basically to go. I'm going to outshine you. And he does. And I, I think that's what they lack is in like the, the, the single movies, it's, it's just me. I don't have anybody to kind of overshadow. And here, it's like, with even understated, none of, none of his stuff is like scenery chewing as manner, but it is immense. No, I'll agree with that. You know, I, I think, um, I think the Hulk was one of the most surprising characters in the movie. But you know what kind of surprised me, you know, and we'll talk about our favorite and least favorite characters here. Um, you know, uh, my brother and I had a conversation about the movie before he saw it, and he says, you know, was it more of Captain America's movie or was it more of an ensemble movie? And I think that everyone had a chance to shine um, at, at, at a certain point in the movie. Um, but I got to say, I feel like they... There was a, foc a definitive focus on Iron Man uh, and Tony Stark and Robert Downey Jr. as those characters. You know, he was the only, I mean, he, he really, you know, they brought in his supporting cast with Gwyneth Paltrow. You know, he had, the, the movie ended with him. There was a lot of focus on Stark Enterprises and Stark Tower, um, more so than any of the other films, I felt. I mean, you know, of course, there's a lot of Thor in there, too, because of Loki. But, you know, I felt like they, they really kind of focused on Iron Man, and maybe because I think Iron Man 3 might be the next step on the Marvel docket. But I got to be uh, honest opinion, I felt the weakest character in the movie was Captain America. And I would I, agree, um, because 
he he always seems at um, loose ends in everything until the very end, where uh, he steps up and fills the leader role. And that's a long time to kind of just be out there dangling. Because well, even Thor, who's not there for like a good portion, when he shows up, it's definitive what he's doing. And his um, presence is necessary, but you know what it is. Whereas you're always wondering what Cap's there for. Yeah, um, I really think uh, I agree the whole thing with uh, Captain America was kind of weak, but I think really what it was was I think they just played up the whole man out of time thing too much. They made him seem too far lost. That's why there was a pretty funny bit with him where uh, he was like all proud during the briefing because he actually got a a, a reference that someone made about the flying monkeys. Because <laughs> I, I forget, uh, when exactly was it that Oz was first released? I know the book was a while ago, but it was around World War II when they filmed it, right? I think it was right before. I think it was in the 30s, maybe. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. So, he just had this look on his face like, hey, he finally got one. It was almost sad, to be honest. It was kind of like the uh, the little kid with the helmet finally getting a joke, you know? <laughs> I like that comparison for Captain America. That's yeah, I, uh, I thought, you know, and again, every character had some type of moment where they shined. But Captain America, I mean, he acts... Honestly, like Captain America, and you know when you when you put him in the same room as, you know, you've got charismatic guys like Thor and Iron Man, you know, Mark Ruffalo, and you've got all these guys doing their thing. You know, Samuel L. Jackson, <clears throat> Captain America is just kind of he's kind of playing comparatively. You know, yes, he had some good moments, and you know, he did great in the action sequences. But I think out of all the characters, I think he was he had the least memorable moments in the movie. Yes, I, I I will completely agree with you there. I mean, even even his part in the action stuff, I mean, it's sort of um, at the bottom of the list of everybody because Thor, once again, not there as much as everybody else, but when he steps onto the screen, he fills it, and it doesn't seem like um, oh, who played Captain America? I'm trying to remember. Chris Evans. Yeah, Chris Evans. Just didn't seem to to try that, whereas everybody else uh, was seemed to be working hard to come up to everybody else's level. Mm-hmm. You know, and I'm not trying to pick apart the movie. I mean, as as reviewers, of course, there, we have to talk about the negatives and the positives. And I'm not saying that he was a bad part of the movie. I'm just saying he, you know, he wasn't. A commanding presence. And, you know, there's always going to be someone, you know, that that doesn't shine as much as the rest. And, you know, I think in this situation it might have been him. Yeah, see, in my mind, honestly, though, that's really all the, uh, all Captain, Captain America is and always has been a soldier. I mean, yeah, he's pretty much, in like World War II, he was the face of the, of the, Allied movement or what or whatever. He was the 
the um, the face of the U.S. military and everything, their spokesman. But that's what he really was. And now, and now that it's like so far in the future, and uh, he really is. He's kind of a relic of the of the past, and people really. It's kind of difficult for people to relate to him that way. I mean. Because now, uh, nowadays it's not it's not the same as when Captain America was originally written in World War Two was when the Captain America comics first started coming out. It was relevant back then. They never really updated his story, but, and that's a good a good thing. But in my mind, I think it makes it a little bit harder to relate to him as a character that way because this is a character that very much essentially our parents or grandparents grew up with. That's what they, they're the ones who relate to it. Not, and not so much us. So it's kind of like, yeah, it's cool and everything, you know, the whole super soldier thing, the vibranium shield, but it's like, eh? You know, it's in the back of your mind, you're just like, okay, well, I think what I end up like, I think what I end up realizing about Captain America uh, is that you know we were talking how Mark Ruffalo uh, and a lot of these characters, because Hawkeye, Jeremy Renner, and Scarlett Johansson as Black Widow, I think they work better in an ensemble like this. I don't think I don't I, sp- I know for a fact that I don't that you know Scarlett Johansson as Black Widow and Hawkeye probably couldn't hold a movie on their own. Um, but worked well in the ensemble. And I think Captain America is just the opposite. I think he works better in the solo piece than he does in the ensemble. I think in the ensemble, he just kind of gets lost in the background. And again, not saying anything negative. It's just an observation that compared to everyone else who, you know, I just have glowing feelings about, you know, Captain America was just kind of Captain America. Now, the question that I actually have is... Is that actually more the character or the actual actor? Because Chris Evans is a relatively new actor, isn't he? Uh, you know, he's been around. I mean, Chris Evans, keep in mind, Chris Evans was the standout character in the Fantastic Four movies as Johnny Storm. Yes. So I think yeah. Chris Evans ha- has the capability of standing out. I think this role doesn't call for it, though. You know, this role calls for Chris Evans to play it seriously, and that's, you know, Chris Evans is, you know, it's like asking Ryan Reynolds to play a straight character. It just doesn't happen. Yeah. Oh, God, I can't wait for the Deadpool movie, and I hope they don't fuck that up. <laughs> <laughs> Think in terms of, he's not the worst, he's least best. Exactly, exactly, you know. So, you know, one of the things that really surprised me about the movie, and like I said, I was avoiding spoilers for the movie, but I had heard that there was a character death. And I had assumed it would be one of the main characters, stupidly, because I'm like, who would who would they kill? You know, they're not going to kill any of the main guys because they have movie franchises for all of them. And I was like, is it going to be Black Widow? Is it going to be Hawkeye? You know, but spoilers on, um, you know, and big spoilers on for this and for the next topic of conversation. You know, Agent Coulson, who is, it's funny because he was just introduced in the comic universe this past couple, you know, just recently. Yeah, see, I have, a, I have an issue with that because I, I don't know, maybe it's just my own wishful thinking, but that afterwards, the whole scene with, uh, with Maria Hill and, uh, 
and Nick Fury with the whole thing where she's like, those cards were in his locker. I'm thinking maybe Coulson isn't dead. Here's what I'm thinking. I'm thinking. I, I actually think Coulson probably did die. I'm thinking we're going to look at a life model decoy situation because the character is just too popular for them to leave dead. I think. Yeah. And, yeah. And let's be honest. It's the Marvel universe. The afterlife kind of has a rotating door that's bigger than D and D. So hey. <laughs> uh, but it was still a gut punch. I the first time through, I was like. No, because I just I had I had grown to love him and his each appearance just built it up in in the movies and here you get to see him actually as actually as a character with a, a little backstory and everything else and I was like really. That's, that's too much. Yeah, I, I was definitely surprised. I was surprised that it, it didn't even occur to me that he would be the one they kill. Uh, oh, because, they, you know, they just seem to love his character so much, and the audience connects with him. And, you know, that's a Joss Whedon trope, is to kill everyone's favorite character. Yeah. Uh, so I, I guess I shouldn't be surprised since it's Joss Whedon. Um, but, I, you know, it still caught me off guard. I, I really didn't think he would be the one. <laughs> Oh, yeah. I'm still pissed about that. Well, see, I liked the, the the point where he's like, this is, even he says, this most probably is going to be what you need to bring them together. Yeah, I thought that was interesting. I mean, you know, his, his, his death had a purpose. You know, the whole point was, you know, he says it was never going to work unless they had something to avenge. Yeah. You know, and so that's basically what his point you know, that, that's basically, you know, there was a meaning behind his death. I mean, it was it fit the story. I'm sorry? I, I was, sorry to interrupt you, but I was going to say, I got to love the scene, though, where he has the big old gun. He, get, he gets, uh, spoilers, obviously, he gets stabbed through the heart. He's just sitting there, and he just blows Loki away. He's like, huh, that's what it does. <laughs> that was funny as hell. <laughs> yeah, I mean it was it was a good death scene and it uh, really was. You know, pulled off, you know, and very effective. You know, it it wasn't pointless. I really I really thought it was good. Now, another scene that fans are going to be talking about but the general public probably won't care about is the post-credit sequence. Um now, I have a question for you guys and maybe neither one of you know. The character with the mask not 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 the one we're about to reveal, but the character who was talking to Loki throughout the entire movie, um, the one who was played by supposedly it looks like Alexis Denisoff. Yes. Um, was that Annihilus? From what I saw, it uh, it looks like Annihilus. Um, there are other possible servitors because I went looking on Wikipedia like this. Um, does this person have other servitors? And he does. But I, my thought was that's. That's an island. Yeah, because it's just referred to, the character is just referred to as the other in the credits. And, but, and, but I don't know of a character called the other in Marvel Comics. And maybe no. one of our listeners will help us out, but I really think it was supposed to be a nihilist. Just, you know, in the movie universe, not referred to that way. Um, you Either know. That or they're saving that reveal for the next movie. Yeah, Avengers 2, Electric Boogaloo. <laughs> but you know, so at the post-credit uh, sequence, two, the whole uh, hey, you know what? That's the episode title. 
Avengers 2, <laughs> Electric Boogaloo. There you go. <laughs> so, you know, if you've listened to our Jim Starlin interview, the post-credit sequence, or the mid-credit sequence, because there's a post-credit sequence and a mid-credit sequence, stay through both. Uh, mid-credit sequence, um, it's revealed that the ultimate bad guy, the big bad behind all of this, the one that Loki was working for, um, is Thanos. And again, Jim Starlin already revealed that, <laughs> which, you know, Thanks, Jim. But, you know, he, you know, because they needed his permission to use the character and, and that kind of thing. Um, or maybe he just got a check for it. I don't know. But so, you know, it, Thanos pops up in the post credit sequence. Of course, the general public's not going to know who it is. He just looks like a big purple guy. He looks like Thanos. Um, and so and that was a nice showing. Hmm? It was met by a round of applause. So yeah. I don't Even know if I was lucky. Mostly, it was mostly... Um, non-comic book fans, judging from the conversations and everything I was hearing from other people in there, and even that got, for the people who stayed, got it got a round of applause. It really did. Which is kind of funny. I, I'm surprised that non-comic book fans would get a reaction out of it, other than maybe saying, oh yes, there's going to be a sequel. You know, maybe that's a different reaction than I got to it, which is just like, it's freaking Thanos. You know? Oh yeah. Thanos. Oh, yeah. God damn it. It's <laughs> story is one of the most convoluted yet simple ones ever. Pretty much with him, he wants to kill everything in the universe just to impress Death, who is apparently his girlfriend? I think I got that right, right? Well, he, he courts her, and then, um, because I, I was a big fan of Thanos, um, and he, he courts her and does everything for her. There's a point where he marries her. It, it's all good. And I'm like, I, I like him as a villain. I'm like, I'm looking forward to the next Avengers. Yeah. Because I, I, oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off. Oh, I was just going to say, it, it shows that they're, they're willing to commit to a more cosmic level, but still on Earth. And I, I like that idea in the movie. Yeah, I think it's going to be years before we see one. I know they're doing Iron Man, Captain America, Thor. Um, they're doing at least another one of each one of those, probably before they're even going to start an Avengers movie. Um, so I think we're still a couple of years away from seeing another Avengers movie. And I hope, I hope they're not going to wait for Avengers two. I hope we don't have to wait another four years oh, to God. see Thanos in a movie. Um, but it was a, it was a hell of a reveal at the end. Um, it really was. And, you know, Thanos, I, I would love to see that character on screen. You know, they didn't, you know, f probably one of the questions that's going to come out of this is who played Thanos. And ultimately, it doesn't matter. Thanos looks like Thanos should, and it's just a big purple character. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, you know, but I was surprised because he wasn't computer generated. It was really? done with, it seemed like it was done with yeah, um, prosthesis. prosthetics, yeah. Which was surprising to me because you know usually a character like that, but I guess Annihilus being was prosthetics too, so I, that was nice because the Chitari were all CG. Oh yeah, which I the line of digital uh, artists. There were uh, several people behind me commenting about how long in the credits was just a section on digital artists alone. Oh. It went on for at least a minute or two. It was ridiculous how much CG went into this movie. On the subject of the Chitari, are they an, 
a mixed tongue, like alien race, or were they created new for? No, no, they're in the they're in the comics. They are in the comics. Um, in fact, let's so that'll that'll that's a good question, and that brings us to to kind of the the final topic of conversation, which is what would you you know? Let's say you're you're new to the Avengers, or even if you're not new to the Avengers, so let's say you just you know, let's say you're either new to comics, you're new to the Avengers, or you've read some Avengers, or you've just seen the Marvel movies. You know, what would you read after watching the Avengers movie? Um, now, for to respond to your question, the Chitari are, you know, from the Thor comic book. They do exist. Um, you can see them in Walt Simonson's run on Thor. Uh, in fact, I would recommend, that's one of my recommendations, is the, you know, the, the Walt Simonson Mighty Thor Omnibus. Uh, just really great reading, great art, you know, probably one of the definitive runs on Thor. Um, highly recommend that. You know, one thing that kind of caught me with this movie and I don't, and Rob, maybe you'll agree because I, I, you, you said you've been, you've been reading the new Fifty Two. This movie had almost the exact same storyline as the first arc of Justice League in the new Fifty Two to me. Exactly the same. Uh, I will, because I was, I was like, look, they, they look like parademons. <laughs> yeah, it, it's, it, it really is almost the exact same storyline, just done a hell of a lot better in the Avengers movie. I didn't necessarily like the Justice League stuff, but you know, if you think of Justice League as a big budget movie, that would have been a hell of a movie. I mean, it would, it would have been just as spectacular as, as the Avengers movie. So, you know, even though it's not Marvel and it's not the Avengers, if you enjoyed the Avengers movie, you know, the, the Justice League New 52 first arc just got released in hardcover. I would recommend picking that up because I think that's right up your alley also. Okay. See, now I'm going to write that down. <laughs> um, see, I would recommend – this may sound odd because I'm going to be going back to an older storyline – that actually involves Thanos, but involves, like, the Avengers and all the Marvel Universe, which is the Infinity Gauntlet. Uh, it's the whole... Uh, the, the whole group against a, a major menace. Um, and I... For me, it was it was awesome. And I, I don't... I It was easy to get into because you didn't need a lot of backstory, and they, they did a good job of... Um, Covering what little you needed to, like in the, the trade, and I think that would be an excellent thing to pick up after this because you can see it and, and get an idea of what Thanos can do. Yeah, I gotta say, anyone who liked this movie and has a passing knowledge of the Marvel Universe, which you can get just from watching this movie, is gonna love Infinity Gauntlet. If you, it almost reads like a sequel to this movie because you yeah. get all the characters from this movie plus Spider-Man and Silver Surfer and characters from other Marvel movies that you may have already seen. Plus, you get Thanos as the main villain. Um, you know, I think it's a fantastic. I, I, the Infinity Gauntlet is one of my favorite books of all time, and I highly recommend picking it up after seeing this movie. You know, of course, anything, any of the new Avengers. In fact, I probably. I, prob- I probably shouldn't say that. Not any of the new Avengers, but pick up some of the early new Avengers stuff by Brian Michael Bendis. I think those are great reads, and you know you really you really can't go wrong picking those up after seeing this movie. Um, you know, Captain America by Brew Baker. Um, see, because now I'm reading Defenders, and the the problem is the Defenders are, aren't in there, but. I, I think that would be uh, something that would be an easy jump on. You would understand sort of the universe coming into them since they've just restarted. And uh, it has that feel that Avengers had, like the mm-hmm. supergroup going against this overpowerful thing. And 
I think it would mesh well and give it a different entrance into, like, Marvel. I'm kind of odd, but... Uh. No, no, I think that's a good, that's a good um, recommendation. And i got to say, even though, you know, we're not a huge fan of him right now, Matt Fraction's Iron Man run very closely mirrors the Marvel universe of the movies. His Tony Stark is very similar to the Robert Downey Jr. Tony Stark. Um, you know, if you start that run at the beginning, you're really going to find a lot to enjoy, including characters like Maria Hill, who just got introduced in the Avengers Marvel Universe, movie universe. Ah. Although, I wonder, do you just want me to feel betrayed later by Matt Fraction? Well, well so here's the thing. Uh, Invincible Iron Man, read it in trade. You have to read Matt Fraction books in trade. Otherwise, it's just an exercise in frustration. You know, not enough happens in, a, in an issue to make it worth it. But in a trade, you're really going to get your money's worth, especially if you can get a good deal on them. And, you know, his first, I'd say probably his first 30, 40 issues on Invincible Iron Man probably were really, really stellar. Um, so, I, I I, I, rec- I actually do recommend those. I, I don't know what he's doing on the title right now. Uh, I know he's in his last arc on the title, um, but I, I really did like what he started with, and I do recommend it, especially if you like the way Iron Man is presented in the movies. But i got to be honest, out of all these, Infinity Gauntlet, hands down, pick up Infinity Gauntlet. Woohoo! <laughs> I have to say, I, I think it, I think it does work well as like sort of like a sequel until our, until the next movie comes out, and that could be a while. Yeah. In fact, I wouldn't be surprised to find that the next movie takes some of the Infinity Gauntlet. You know, it's oh, loosely on the Infinity Gauntlet. That would be awesome. I mean, what other story can you do with Thanos? I mean, you can do a ton of stories, obviously, with Thanos, but it seems like you know we saw the Infinity Gauntlet in the throne room in Thor. You know, they've hinted that the Infinity Gauntlet's going to be part of the Marvel movie universe. Um, yeah, because they had it at Comic-Con. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. In, the, in the case, they have the yeah. Infinity Gauntlet with all the Infinity Gems in it already. So, and there's a big fo- Thor's helmets. You know, and there's a big focus right now in the Marvel comic universe on the Infinity Gauntlet. Mm. You uh, know what I'm hoping for? Hmm. And, well, provided they don't fuck it up, a Doctor Strange movie, because... In uh, Odin's uh, treasure room, the Eye of Agamotto was there, too. Yeah. True. true. Now, I do want to say... They don't mess it up, though. (laughs) Now, I do want to say, if you're picking up the Infinity Gauntlet, pick up the Infinity Gauntlet. Yes, I know it was published in the 1990s, and it seems like it's old, but pick that one up. Do not pick up Spider-Man in the Infinity Gauntlet, which is a different title entirely. It's still fun. It's written by Brian Clevenger from Atomic Robo, but it's not the same story. Infinity Gauntlet, not Spider-Man and the Infinity Gauntlet. I will agree with you there. Brian Clevenger's uh, Deadpool was the uh, was the only uh, Fear Itself one I actually liked. So, I, like I said, that was the really the only Fear Itself uh, issue that I actually enjoyed. So, I haven't checked out his Infinity Gauntlet one, but I keep hearing all these good reviews about it, so I may have to check that one out as well. See, and I'm, I can't recommend Fear Itself, but I can say Civil War, Secret Invasion, uh, those are good trades, you know, that feature the characters from the movies. Yes, you'll get other stuff in there. Yes, there's more, you know continuity based in there uh, stuff and you're going to understand from the movies but there's still a lot to enjoy there um, but 
you know, just tons of stuff out there. I really, you know, I really think you've hit the nail on the head with Infinity Gauntlet. I, in fact, I'm, now I'm in the mood to read that. So I, I'm, I'm eyeing it on my shelf. I'm like, hmm, I think I'll be reading that after I read this uh, this week's comics later on this evening. <laughs> well. Ray, Rob, thank you guys for joining me on the show this week. I appreciate you volunteering to be here. Not a problem. Thank you for having me. Yeah, well, we will definitely have you back in the future, you know, so you know, keep an eye on your emails. And, again, thanks for coming on. Hey, hey not a problem. And thank for you. And for the rest of you guys out there, the gang should be back next week. We're going to talk about next week's comics, um, you know, and uh, – Hopefully there will be some good stuff out there. I haven't even looked at next week's list. I'm a little worried. See, I picked up a lot this week. I, I was like, I added on some Batman titles because I, I hadn't been reading him until this um, uh, Court of Owls, and that that looked interesting. In fact, and, yeah, Court of Owls is next week. Yeah, is that, that actually uh, any good? I've been thinking about picking that up. Oh, it's awesome. It's, it's awesome. Highly recommend it. I'll check, I may have to check it out if I have extra then. Cool. All right, guys. Thanks again. And uh, talk to you guys next or talk to everybody else next week. Okay. See ya. Hi, I'm Jim Starlin, a writer and artist of such items as Captain Marvel, Warlock, Dreadstar, Breed, a few other things here and there. And you're listening to The Funny Books with uh, Aaron and Polly. Or have uh, produced Breed 3, which is a follow-up to a book that you did back with Malibu Comics under their Bravura line. Yes, the late Malibu Top Comics. <laughs> so tell us, tell our listeners a little bit about Breed. Well, Breed is short for half-breed. He's part human, part demon. Uh, issue of Rape uh, back in 1949, the same year I was born. The story so far has been him coming to terms with what he is and learning about his the darker heritage he has and uh, basically trying to figure out what the demons, the fathers, uh, are up to. And as uh, anyone who's read the current issues, they're coming to eat us all. And so you've had uh, two prior volumes of Breed. Yes, uh, both of them back at Malibu back in the 90s. Um, Malibu... Of course, got bought up by uh, Marvel Comics, and they shut it down because all they want is the coloring setup that they never actually used. Right. Um, after that, the horror market tanked. Nobody wanted anything except uh, superheroes. So I went back to uh, doing superheroes for a while. Um, the market seems to be changing again. I understand in the last couple months, the two main companies, Marvel and DC, they're percentage of sales have gone down and the indies have actually gone up. 
Well, and, you know, horror certainly seems to be a lot more prevalent these days, you know, with, with uh, title, the success of titles like Walking Dead. And certainly we've seen the uh, Dracula Company of Monsters and, you know, a lot more horror on the title these days. Traditional horror, not your sparkly uh, glow-in-the-dark vampires. Yeah, the, the Twilight is another animal entirely. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, how long do you see uh, your your new breed series going? Do you have it plotted out, you know, uh, into the next year? It's a, it's a seven-issue miniseries. Mm-hmm. I, I've basically come back to complete the story. I see. Does this, does this uh, book it? This traditional six because at the Malibu Comics – their first issues were always 40 pages, so I wanted to keep it about the same length. And uh, after that, um, I think I will probably be doing a final Dreadstar story. Are you really? Yeah, that's that's the plan at this point. Don't you go teasing me, Jim. Don't you do it. Dreadstar is absolutely one of my favorite books. Well, I've uh, been wanting to get back and do a final story. Uh, I'm actually plotting it out as I'm working on uh, Breed. I'm on to the sixth issue of Breed, so Mm -hmm. it's going to come out on time for all you people out there buying books. (laughs) It's uh, it's actually, the the latter part of Breed has some things that are setting up for the Dreadstar story. Oh, really? Are those universes tying together? Um, only in the fact that elsewhere is connected to everything. I see. And some things that happen in near the end of the story will affect what happens with what I'm going to do with Dreadstar afterwards. Wow. I, I like to tie things, connect things up in subtle little ways. Well, you know, uh, I, I'm, I'm a huge fan of your Dreadstar story. I started reading uh, Metamorphosis Odyssey back when it was you know, published in Epic Illustrated uh, and then you know, followed it into uh, – uh, oh, gosh, I, I suddenly forgot, forget the, the price. I followed it into the price and then into the Dreadstar ongoing series. I absolutely love that character and what you've done with him. I had a lot of fun. He, uh, he sort of came out by accident. I, the Metamorphosis Odyssey originally was supposed to be a fairy tale, sort of Michael Plute kind of thing. Right. But uh, I'm, I'm never very good at that. And it very quickly turned into this dark, sinister thing <laughs> and uh, started painting it. And when I got to Dreadstar, I had been using different people as models. Uh, I used everyone from Walt Simonson to Frank Miller, uh, his wife, Lynn Barley, uh, just anyone who walked into the studio got planted underneath the lights and I took pictures of them for the, the paintings of the characters. But I knew Dreadstar was going to be a long running character and the only person I knew I could depend on to show up all the time was me. Right. So Dreadstar and I have uh, a lot of uh, facial, if not uh, physical similarities. Now you're kind of a pioneer in uh, independent work. I mean, you know, you, created Dreadstar and you did it in the in the Epic Illustrated magazine as creator owned and then you actually went on to the you know Epic comic books doing it there as well. Talk to us about those early days of of independent comics. I did work for some actual independent comics along the way. Uh, the price was Eclipse uh, Publications, which is now defunct also, I believe. Um, we did some. We did. A, I, I did originally some stuff for Archie Goodwin. You know, the Metamorphosis Odyssey appeared in Epic Illustrated. Right. Um, I was actually doing some work for Marvel at the time, also, and 
my checks started disappearing. I, I stopped getting paid by Marvel. I mean, they were cutting checks, but some way, reason or another, they were never getting to me. So I quit Marvel and I did some work over at uh, uh, Eclipse. Right. And when I came back to Marvel, they said, please do this, but they had no contracts set up to do create our own work. And nobody trusted each other, so we needed a contract. And basically, Jim Shooter, for a while, Mike Friedrichs, and Mike Hobson and I, it must have took us about three months to hammer out contracts on that. And every time we got one that we all agree on, they send it up to Marvel's Legal, and Marvel's Legal would turn it into a work-for-hire contract again. Right. So it, it, it went back and forth until we finally got something that was good. I mean, uh, I had to learn a lot of legalese, like latches and innovations uh, during <laughs> that time. But it all worked out fairly well. Um, and, you know, I've been doing a lot of creator-owned things like Breed and that down the line. I have a, a lawyer now who does all that sort of thing for me, but, you know, Harris Miller. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, it, it was kind of interesting just... He was starting everything from the beginning, basically. Well, I, I was just fascinated with your uh, style and approach to the Metamorphosis Odyssey and you know the price as well as – I forget the title of the, the big – the larger format Dreadstar book that you did. Was it called Dreadstar before it went into the monthly series? Yes, it was Dreadstar graphic novel. Yeah. And, and you know, you, you, it was like you – you were working on a black canvas and you know painting on top of the black canvas and I, I was I was just fascinated with the way you you worked those colors and you know brought those moods in. Well, every page was done on a different colored board. Uh huh. They were blue or brown, whatever I needed for a midground. And one episode, uh, I actually went off to a Chinese paper shop and got all this ornate paper that had all these crazy designs on it, and I painted. Uh, the figures on top of that. Oh, wow. How long did it take you to, to, to crank out a page? I mean, that must have been just oh, extraordinarily that's too long. That's too long. <laughs> <laughs> I'd never do anything like that again. <laughs> uh, no, I was I was doing a complete painting uh, each uh, each page. Yeah. Uh, I mean, several complete paintings. So uh, it was very time-consuming, and there was nothing that I would ever attempt again. Not, not with the computer, of course. I wouldn't even think about doing real pain anymore. Yeah. Now, I recently picked up the uh, hardback collected, uh, the Metamorphosis Odyssey stories, the price, and that. For, I think it's got that first Red Star graphic novel in there as well. And it, it's it's a beautiful piece. I, I love uh, I love that book. It's just fantastic having all those those things in, in one nice hardcover. Um, I, I have seen, I think, some collections of the Epic Illustrated work. Is, is that stuff collected? Uh, that's in the beginning with uh, uh, the new one that it's called Dread Star the Beginning from Dynamic Forces. And I'm sorry, I didn't mean the Epic Illustrated, but the Epic Monthly, the 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 comic book series. Oh, we did the first 12 issues. Nick has his own way of doing things. So we did the first 12 issues before we did Dread Star the Beginning. Right. And there are plans to keep going down the line oh, and good. getting them all printed. Now, you know, uh, Dreadstar went from, you know, the Epic Monthly over to First Comics after that, right? Exactly, yes. And then after First Comics, there was a little bit of a break. And then you started, you, you did the next series over at uh, Malibu Bravura, right? 
Uh, actually, Peter David <clears throat> Ernie Colon did it over at the Bureau. I was working on Breed over there. I see. I see. And that's right. Peter David uh, picked up, I guess, in the latter part of the first comics run, scripting those stories. Is that is that right? Exactly. <clears throat> so what so was that's your, why we brought him on when we did the Bureau books. So what was your relationship like? How, what was the working relationship like with Peter David in those uh, Dreadstar stories? Uh, pretty easy going. I had complete faith in Peter, and so I just sort of let him go. Uh, he sent me a plot at the beginning, but after a while, we even stopped doing that. And uh, when we got to the Bevere one, he called me up and said, I'd like to do a female Dreadstar. And I thought about it for a day or so, and I said, I trust Peter. Do what you want to do there. And so it was always very good. I, 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 I trust artists that I trust. And they've never collected the Bravura run, have they? Of the Dreadstar? No. I have them all uh, on disc. You know, I have digital copies of everything. Sure. So we will eventually get to that. I was, we we're hoping to get to the other ones first. Right. Work well, our way through up to the first and then through the first to uh, Malibu. Okay, so as you can see, I'm I'm kind of a, a Dreadstar geek. So you know, you, you you teased me just a few minutes ago that uh, you're looking to do an end chapter on Dreadstar. How far do you think you're out on that? Are we gonna see that in 2011, or will that be a 2012 book? Oh, that's definitely 2012. I'm gonna be working right up until September on uh, Breed. Um, <clears throat> it takes me at least two days, sometimes three days a page on these things. So right. I'm. I'm I'm penciling, inking, writing, and coloring it. Oh, wow. So, so it's very labor-intensive. You're a one-man shop, Jim Starlin. Well, I have somebody else lettering it because I was just – even on the computer, I'm a terrible letter. <laughs> so I, when you uh, get to, to Dreadstar, you know, the, the new incarnation of Dreadstar, will you be writing and drawing it and inking it and all that, or will you involve Peter David again? No, it will be my show. Good deal. Well, I'm just Peter, as excited as Peter's I, got some stuff these days. <laughs> well, I'm just as excited as I can be about that. That just that just sounds wonderful. Do you have any other uh, universes that you're hooking into, uh, you know, through Breed and, and the elsewhere? Yeah, there's some things that have happened in the later part of Breed that will um, open up some things. Um, anyone who's read or so far seen weird domestic warrior has been wandering around there. I mean, yeah. he's not anything in the future. He's just there, but he leads into another character that will play a bigger part in the dread star, uh, excuse me, in the breed series. Um, a guy with another guy with an eye patch. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, I, I have some plans for him down the line. Also, that was dark line, the mystic, but, I, sh I probably shouldn't be telling you that because he's part of the big surprise at the end of issue five. Uh oh. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I kind of, I kind of blew that one. <laughs> he's only part of it though. There's, there's more to it than that. Uh, IDW is going to be putting out a um, sort of a heavy metal, epic illustrated kind of magazine. Yeah. And I'm going to be doing a serialized uh, illustrated novel for them. Can you tell us the subject of that? Um, it's called Hardcore Station Revisited, but it has oh. nothing to do with, well, it has, other than the location, it has very little to do with the, the Hardcore Station that had its own series at DC and then Comet uh, showed up at uh, for a while. Um, it's basically about uh, a telepath who's a psychiatrist. Hmm. 
That sounds and it gets more complicated than that, but that's that's the bare bones teaser for right now. That sounds great. It'll be different. Uh, I've got the first chapter done and illustrated, and uh, as soon as I get done with Breed, I got to get the next one done. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, Paul's been kind of quiet over there, and that's because he's a little bit shy. But uh, <laughs> one of the his most favorite characters is Thanos. And uh, I know that Paul has a Thanos question in him. <laughs> I have actually a, a million Thanos questions, of course. <laughs> Pick the best one. <laughs> oh, man. Okay. Um, well, at this point, I, I guess it kind of wraps up into one of the questions I had. Are, are you done with work for Marvel and DC at this point? I mean, I, 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 for the foreseeable future, anyway. I, I don't see myself ever working in corporate comics again. Really? They're just no fun. Uh, both my last stints at both Marvel and DC, I quit because they weren't fun. Uh, it's all the crossover now, and they're willing to sacrifice everything for good art to good story just to make the crossover work or not work. And most of the time, they don't work. Well, and I, I could see that um, because I think, if I remember correctly, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think your last work at DC was Death of the New Gods, maybe? Uh, no, I did some Adam Strange and some of those characters later on, uh, Strange, Adventure, yeah, Strange Adventures, um, the Than Ranagar, Holy War. Mm -hmm. That's right, and that's right. It wasn't too bad while I had uh, um, Tom Palmer Jr. as the editor. He kind of protected me. And I was able to sort of go off, but I was always getting characters thrown in like Starfire and Animal Man I didn't want. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, so I tried to keep them as far as in the background as possible. But, you know, the the last one, Strange Adventures, uh, just turned into a complete mess. And, you know, I, I, I left that series unfinished actually and that's the first time this has ever happened to me and you know if it's not fun why do it i have to admit that i did not read strange adventures but i did enjoy the hell out of mystery in space oh yeah mystery in space was great yeah that was uh bob shrek was the editor on that and boy did he protect me uh i mean we we it was originally supposed to be adam strange instead of comet but that does has more to do with the crossovers. They suddenly realized Adam Strange was in fifty two with his eyes gouged out, so we couldn't use him. <laughs> uh, you know, I, we only found this out the week that I was supposed to start writing it. <laughs> <laughs> so it gives you an idea just how crazy it gets at those places now. Oh, I'm sure. And you know, speaking of these larger events, I mean, you've been involved. You know, in some of the, I mean, besides just the DC things like the Rand Thanagar Holy War and some of the things that tied into their their Infinite Crisis and all of that, at Marvel you wrote or have been involved in some of the major crossovers, bringing us back to Thanos. Um, you know, the that Infinity trilogy, um, which I guess is is more of a trilogy if you include a Marvel the End. Uh, actually, it's a five-parter if you conclude the end, because I did three Infinity books and then the end. So, I, I actually just I'm recently sorry. read the end. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. Go ahead. No, no, no. I was, I was going to say I was just trying to Gauntlet, War, Crusade, Abyss, and then the end. That makes five of them. Abyss. That's right. So, 
I, I'm, I'm a little curious because I did just read recently read the end. And I kind of want to know where the where that came about. I know Marvel, you know, for a while there they were doing their this whole the end thing, um, but it seems like the end that you wrote it was not originally intended to be part of that line. Oh well, it was. I just didn't understand what the conceit was. Ah, okay. Um, they didn't. I wasn't getting any of the books, and they. Uh, they sent me, you know, they sent me nothing to see what, and they hadn't done many of them. I think uh, the Fantastic Four one had been done. And so I thought I understood what uh, they wanted, and I sent in the plot, and they accepted it. And I didn't know at the time that they were all upset because I wasn't paying any attention to what they wanted. Uh, I was giving them a story. It was a good story, but... You know, nobody ever said to me, this is not quite what we wanted. And so it went off just the way it was. And a very later that I realized that I had really messed up. <laughs> <laughs> I did the same thing with the Cosmic Odyssey. Really? But then I knew that I didn't want to do what they wanted to do. How, how so in, the, in terms of Cosmic Odyssey? Well, they had a book called, a, they had a comic called The Book of Magic, which sort of mapped out all their mystical characters and they wanted me to do with the same thing with the science fiction characters. And that really seemed like a boring idea. And so the, the cosmic odyssey, we just sort of threw it in there when it was very chaotic, we threw the plot in and, uh, they didn't realize it was not what they wanted until by the time Mike Mignola was like into a second issue. So right. it was too late to do anything about it. And that's why the Cosmic Odyssey just sort of got dumped out on the market. They really did very little publicity for it, figuring it was just going to disappear. Uh, they had no idea that uh, 25 years later they'd still be paying me royalties on it. Well, yeah, and I mean, it's it's such an influential book in terms of one of their major characters. I mean, you know, the, everything that happened with the John Stewart Green Lantern uh, still stands today. Now, you know, who knows if it'll still be around after... Uh, you know, the DC reboot in September, but you know, that's been, that, that story has stood for years. That's wild. And they didn't want it. (laughs) No, no, they just figured it was going to, they throw it out and disappear. And I think they were hoping Mike and I would both disappear too. (laughs) (laughs) Little did they know. Well, I mean, and you, you've created or been involved with some events and some characters that are so influential today. You know, we just talked about the, the, the John Stewart event in uh, cosmic odyssey, you know, and of course going back to Thanos, I mean, a year doesn't go by that Thanos isn't involved in some type of intercom, you know, some huge crossover or, you know, there's even rumors that Thanos may be involved in one of these upcoming Marvel movies. I got a pretty good authority that he's in. He, I think he's, he shows up at the end of the Avengers movie. That's what I've heard too. So yeah. that's, yeah. I mean, but, but that's pretty fantastic. I mean, you know, uh, the the character is is definitely one of my favorite characters um, in all of comic book history. Really, I think he's just a a fantastic character. I love the way you write him. He was uh, the first character I ever created in comics. It all went downhill from there. <laughs> I did not realize he was your first char- character creation. It was the first full book I ever did. Iron Man uh, 55, I guess it was. Uh, up until then, I've been doing covers and short stories for Marvel, and this is the first time they uh, ever gave us a chance. Uh, Mike Friedrich and I, and then 
they switched me over to Steve Gerber for the next issue of Iron Man, and Stan hated that issue so much we both got fired. <laughs> <laughs> so, do you feel like you said all you've had to say with some of these characters? I mean, with the characters from the big two? There's no limit to what you can say, but there is a limit to what you can actually do. And that's more of a problem than I really want to take on these days. So would, a- if, if, you know, it, one of those, uh, you know, dream moments where Marvel or DC came to you and they said, you know, you can do whatever you want to do with this character. We're going to put you off in your own little universe. You won't have to deal with any crossovers or anything. What character would you most like to, to be able to spend some time on if you had just complete free control of him? I never did much with Green Lantern. He he was always an interesting character, and it's not just because the movie's coming out. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, that pretty well precludes my you know my going back there because uh, I think that's Jeff John's territory exclusively these days. Oh, yeah. uh, basically, you know, I've if I was back at Marvel, I'd do something with Thanos, but you know, neither one of those are going to happen because you know. Uh, I don't draw like they draw these days at either shop. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, they're they're pretty, you know, the editors really want to keep too much control over what, what you do as an artist and writer these days. So I, I can't see either of those places ever happening again. Sure. Now, one thing I want to ask, before we before we leave a little bit of the uh, the, the, the 80s and 90s, you worked on a lot of the prestige format books of that time, like Batman, the cult cosmic odyssey, Gilgamesh. Um, and I, I loved those books. I loved the, you know, I loved that format. Now it's a format that is largely at this point died in, you know, in modern storytelling, it's, it's floppies or trade paperbacks, but is that a format that you liked working in? Is it a format that you feel, you know, I mean, do you prefer working in a floppy format or in more of that miniseries trade paperback format with the, the longer storylines? Well, I, I think of the the trades as just the natural progression of those. Uh, basically, the floppies are paying for the printing. Mm-hmm. Uh, the ultimate product is the trade paperback. I mean, that's the nicer of the two, and basically the whole things are being designed for that these days. Uh, I mean, I'm not doing any recapping from issue to issue anymore just because I see the whole thing being as part of the package. Um, the time that they were doing those prestige formats, you know, it was it was a changeover. We were not quite into com- to computer coloring at that point, but the better paper, the better printing. Um, it was all changeovers. Um, they only did it on books that they thought were going to sell well enough to uh, pay back on that. And my books usually did, except for Gilgamesh, of course. <laughs> Which is a shame, because I really dug Gilgamesh. I really like that. I keep trying to talk him into reprinting it in a collected volume, but I don't think Dan wants to hear it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think what they need to do is they need, and I'm I'm pretty sure they keep Batman the Cult in print, but you know if if they don't, that's one I think, and I'd love to see, you know, they do these absolute huge hardcover editions. I mean, the Bernie Wrightson art on that book was fantastic. Yeah, Bernie's a champ on that one. 
But they all seem to be in print still. Uh, Death in the Family, The Cult. Uh, I get royalty checks on those all the time. <laughs> Killing Jason Todd decades later. <laughs> yeah, best hit I ever did. <laughs> <laughs> so you actually wrote uh, a couple of novels uh, uh, back in the 80s and 90s. Uh Four. Four of them, four. actually. Now, I, I've actually never seen them. I've looked for them, but I, I've never seen them out there in the world. Are, are those still in print? Yeah, you can go out to Amazon, and uh, I, I don't think any of them are actually in print. They're still in remainder floating around. Um, there was Among Mad Men, Thinning the Predators, Lady L, and uh, the fourth one we did, it's serialized in the back of the Dreadstar in the days when Peter David was writing the front of it. I see. That was called Pawns. I see. And were they, were they a series? Did they, you know, the same, picking up the same themes or same characters? No, each one was a standalone. I see. I see. Well, I'm going to have to go out there and and look and see if I can find them. I've I've always looked for them at uh, bookstores and whatnot. Not recently, because I kind of gave up hope, but, you know, back in the day I I looked for them. So I'll have to see them. Just do Amazon. (laughs) <laughs> in fact, I've got a thing on my Facebook page in the photo section called the Old Bookshop, which is uh, just links to the different places where you can get these different books, and all the novels are connected up there. Good deal. So, kind of run through the list with us on your creator-owned work. We we know about Breed. We know about Dreadstar. Um, well, I started off with Death, okay, which was uh, uh, a short live series that uh, appeared in star reach comics mm-hmm. this predates you know the sandman death uh, and um I, I think it just appeared in the first issue of uh of star reach and then there was dark the mystic which i own still um dreadstar breed kid cosmos and uh weird uh, mystic warrior which was Political cartoons is not really in the same vein at all. Now, I picked up Kid Cosmos under the title of Cosmic Guard, right? That's what the first... Nick Barucci never liked the name Kid Cosmos. (laughs) (laughs) And so he insisted the first one go off as uh, Kid Cosmos. The second one we... Or excuse me, as the Cosmic Guard. And the second one we did as Kid Cosmos Kidnapped. And then... Okay, so that was what, 2005, 2006, something like that? Uh, somewhere in that general area. Yeah. And are you, do you have any plans to go back to another you know, Kid Cosmos book? I'd like to finish that story off the same way I, I'm doing Breed right now, to give it a good package. Sure. Uh, you know, there's, there's, no, there's no plans on it at this point. It's not on the, on the list right at the moment, but I would like to get back to that eventually. I've actually got a few pages of it done up already. Ah. Well, you, you should feel free to send, send uh, images of that this way. Yeah. <laughs> Let's see. I, do I have it somewhere? I, I think it's in the book. I think it's in the art, uh, Life in Words and Pictures book. Oh, is it? The, the, the Jim Starlin art book? Yeah. I, I think it's Excellent. in there somewhere. Okay. Groovy. I'd have to look for it. <laughs> <laughs> So you're it's talking been 40 of- years, guys. There's a lot. To- <laughs> no, I understand. I understand. You know, I, I have to say, uh, your your depiction of Adam Warlock 
um, always informed a lot of my early drawings because it's like every every character I would draw would have this gem on his forehead. <laughs> sure, you're not Indian. <laughs> I might be. I might be. So you you were talking about wrapping up breed. Okay, so this breed three is for all intents and purposes wrapping up the breed storyline. Exactly. And uh, just want to get the word out to our listeners that I think in the coming weeks, um, Image is actually releasing uh, the first Breed storyline in a, in a brand new trade. Am I right? It's with been that? out since July. Okay. So I'm the second one. Uh, oh, excuse me. It's, it's been out. It's been out since May. The second okay. one comes out in July. Oh, okay. That must be the one I saw. Yeah. Okay. So Breed 1 is on stands now. Breed 2 is probably going to be on stands within a couple of weeks after the release of this episode. Uh, yeah. July 10th, I think the thing is, I was, I remember the solicitation, right? And then you can get all caught up in time for the, the finale of breed. Yes. Uh, that was the way it was planned. I was hoping they'd get the, both of them out the first month, but they decided they wanted to put some space between the two. It's their, it's their usual way of doing it. Yeah. And who wants to spend $32 one shot on a comic book? <laughs> Paul does. He does it all the time. I was about to say, <laughs> you're talking to the wrong guys. <laughs> Sorry, I forgot. This is not real life. That's right. That's right. Well, Jim, thank you so much for coming on. Well, it's been a pleasure. Thank you. Well, I'm just yeah. as excited as I can be about the uh, the new breed book and very much excited about Dreadstar. I, I can't wait. So uh, maybe towards the end of breed and before you get started on Dreadstar, we could have you back on and chat about it. Once we get past the surprise in number five, you might want to give me a call. Let's do that. All right. Let's do that. Excellent, Jim. Thank you again so much. Take care then. You have a good night. Podcast theme music graciously provided by Mark Andrew Pope. For more information, visit markandrewpope.com. Funny Books with Aaron and Polly is a production of ideologyofmadness.com. No Spider-Man clones were harmed in the production of this podcast. books with Aaron and Polly. Not Polly and the Evil Bastard? <laughs>